0: quick note before today's episode uh we record these in advance and we recorded this episode dementia 13 uh the day before Rucker Howard died and in that episode I make a joke a quip seemingly at Rucker Howard's expense uh but I was no in no way meant to like insult him or his talent just to make a comment on his willingness to accept uh, parts in movies like Scorpion King 4 or <laughs> Dario Argento's Dracula. He's a great actor. I'll miss him very much. The Hitcher's one of my favorite horror movies. It works because of him. Uh, so, R.I.P. Rutger Hauer. <laughs> you will not be lost like Tears in the Rain. to The Director's Wall, formerly The M. Night Shift. Do we even need to say that anymore? The M. Night Shift is such a long
1: time ago. We're now three episodes in, or four episodes in. Three episodes in? Three episodes in. The Night Shift is a long, that's far away. It's a far away memory until he makes his next
0: movie. So we are talking about the films of Francis Ford Coppola at the very beginning of his career, and today we're going to talk about his first full-on o movie. Yes. He wrote it, he directed it himself, and we're going to talk about it. But first, I am one of your co-hosts, AJ Gonzalez. And I'm
1: Brian Connolly, the other guy. All right. Let's talk about... So every episode, we're also going to be plugging a cupola wine. Uh, so note to new viewers... Age and I know nothing about wine. We don't know how to talk about wine. We're not those type of nerds. We're movie nerds. We know how to talk about movies. We don't know how to talk about wine. But we're going to do the best we can. But you'll probably just hear a lot of the same words of like, it's good. Ah, It's it's a little bitter. It's a little sweet. Oh, it tastes great. It doesn't taste great. But (laughs) today we're doing the Francis Coppola Diamond Collection Emerald Label Pinot Grigio. Very beautiful bottle. Because Pinot Grigio is like a kind of like a light green kind of color. It uh, complements well with the green label. And let me read you what it says here. Dramatic style, vibrant packaging, and fruit forward, smooth wines are the signatures of Francis Coppola diamond collection. Do Do you get a fruit forward on this?
0: Uh, yes?
1: That means you taste the fruit first? Is that what that means? I would definitely describe that as fruity. But then again, wine is made from grapes, which is fruit, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is sweet. It is sweet. Um, so the – our Diamond Collection Pinot Grigio offers refreshing flavors of tangerine. Do you get mm-hmm. tangerine? I get a little bit of tangerine. Peaches. Yeah. I don't really pick up on the peaches. And pink grapefruit. I definitely get some pink. I get the I like grapefruit the and the yeah. tangerine. Yeah, there's a yeah. tart – with, in there
0: with notes of juicy pears. Now they're just thrown in a whole fruit salad. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a pear before, so I don't wait, know. Wait, you've never had a pear before? I, maybe I had pears as a kid and I didn't like them, so then I avoided them for the rest of Me my too. life.
1: Me I, too. When I first had pears, I hated it because I thought, like, why am I just eating an apple? It's so much better. And I didn't have a pear until I was married and in my 30s, and then I was forced into eating a pear, and
0: maybe I like it even more than apples. It's possible that my wife puts has put pears in my food and I haven't noticed <laughs> what food would you sneak a pear in uh like some kind of salad maybe I think you'd know if you ate a pear in a salad what else would you think it was a weird apple <laughs> I always thought of you know, pears as like second tier apples like they're kind you eat of like a pear the weird brother of apples. you eat a pear because you can't get an apple all right so then this one you also get a touch of
1: minerals do you get a minerals. touch of minerals
0: let's let's see
1: does that mean like it tastes like rocks? I'm not smart about this stuff. I'm maybe not either.
0: I, I'm. What mm-hmm. does that mean?
1: What does a touch of minerals mean? I don't know. I,
0: my first thought is rocks. <laughs> maybe it means like like vitamins. Does this taste like vitamins to you? <laughs> Delicious with grilled fish.
1: I can see that. Okay. A spinach salad or light brunch fare. Oh. So there you go, light brun- I like light brunch fare. Ooh la la. Learn more about our wines at francisfourcopolawinery.com. Please do. I think this wine's pretty good. This is our first white. We the first two we have are reds, and I gotta say, I like this. And it's and we're in Texas, and it's damned hot here right now. We've been getting up into the hundreds again. I think it's like 98 is the high today, and so having a nice chilled white wine at the end of the day is very is very wonderful.
0: I like it. I, li- I prefer white wines in general. And I like this one. Good. Yeah.
1: I'm so stupid that I thought white wine was made from white grapes and red wine was made from red grapes. That's not how that works. That's not how it works? <laughs> <laughs> no. They just take the peels out. It is made, it could be, I mean, it could be made from whatever, but you can take a red wine and you just take the peels out. And if you leave the peels in for a little bit and take it out, that's a rose. And if you leave the peels in the whole time, that's a red wine. Huh. I think that's how it works. Again, I, we're huge dummies on wine. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that sounds right to me, doesn't it? Because it it it's just like because, it because be it's right the juice of the wine, and the juice of a red grape is not red. It's it's still clear, right?
0: I've never. I mean, I would think it would be red.
1: You know what? I could be wrong. Like I don't know how Pinot Grigio is made. It could be made from white grapes. We're total dummies. Maybe we just have a podcast about, like, dummies guide to wine, because clearly we're the dummies, and now we need a guide to wine. That could work. (laughs) If that doesn't already exist. (laughs) I've seen Sideways. I've seen Sideways a few
0: times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I definitely know more about beer than I do wine. Wine is just, like, it always felt so grown up to me, and I never really had wine until, again, my wife forced me to have it in my 30s. and (laughs) Up until then, it was strictly crappy
0: beer and, like, bourbon. I uh, I know a little bit more about whiskey, about scotch in particular than I do about other liquors, wine and beer included. Though I, I can tell I know which beers I like now. Like before all beer was just crap that you drank to feel good after a while. <laughs> but now it's like you know, I definitely prefer your Porter's, your Shiner Box, the darker beers as to like the lagers mm-hmm. I don't like IPAs
1: oh yeah I'm a big fan of like Hefeweizen I like like a good lighter German beer but with just a little bit to it but not too not too dark not I too like sharp. Hefeweizens they're good alright so we now we've lost all of the listeners <laughs> Yep. but you know what? that's okay we're not gonna, this isn't a wine podcast we're just doing that because it ties in thematically with Francis Ford Coppola because what other
0: filmmaker makes wine is there any other I know of Another actor who oh I know of an actor that has a winery one Sam Neal. oh is it a is it an Australian wine a New Zealand oh he's is he New Zealand yeah he's a Kiwi Okay,
1: he's a Kiwi sorry Sam Neill yeah sorry Kiwi's an Australian so. uh
0: he has a wine called Two Paddocks okay uh and he takes it very seriously someone I I, <laughs> I follow him on Twitter if he you should follow Sam Neill on Twitter. Everyone should. <laughs> he's a wonderful, crazy man who tweets uh, just photos of his farm animals, his ducks, his pigs, which he names after actors he's worked with. So he <laughs> has a pig named Imogen Poots. <laughs> <laughs> he has That's a, a children's
1: book in the making yeah. right there. <laughs> uh, I know Fess Parker is dead, but he has a winery that is still active. Huh. And Matthew Fox of Lost Fame has a current winery, and you can get his wine, and it's really, really cheap. You get it in like the really cheap section, but Whoa. it's great. It's a great wine. I don't remember what it's called, and I apologize, but it is really good. I am so look up whatever the Matthew Fox wine is. It's
0: fantastic. I should drink the Matthew Fox wine as I'm rewatching Party of Five, which, oh, I've, yeah. been, which I've been doing for the past couple months. No,
1: it's good. All right, so we're not going to just talk about wine and alcohol. But we're going to talk about Dementia 13, the first true Coppola movie. Up until this point, we've done sort of like his post and during college uh, Roger Corman kind of work where he's just been taking movies and re-editing them and rewriting little parts and like doing little things and directing just like a section of the terror. But now this is like the full first true blue Francis Ford Coppola movie. Um, Who wants to describe the plot? Of the and, uh, and And the note for new view, uh, listeners uh, this is a total spoiler podcast. We we're just going to talk about everything about the movie. So if you haven't seen Dementia 13 and don't want anything ruined, turn this off now. Watch it first because we're going to always tell you the plot. We're going to give it all away because I feel that's the only way to really talk about anything uh, is you have to kind of talk about the whole thing. We're not here to like make you go see it uh, to be surprised. We want, you know, like hopefully you've seen it and now we're kind of just like maybe dig in a little deeper. Yeah. Do you want to do Dementia 13? Uh, sure. Go, cra- go I'll crazy. Give it a, I'll, do it. I'll give it a shot. Do it. Uh, Try to do it without reading anything off the internet. Can oh, you do it from memory? Wikipedia? <laughs> Can you do it from your mind? All right. You might not yes. get all the characters'
0: names, but that's okay. Okay, so this is a black and white film set in then modern day, early 60s. Uh, it starts out with uh, a man and a woman on a rowboat. They're rowing out into a lake in the middle of the night for some reason and the way this movie is shot and this is true throughout the whole movie is that only the actors if they're outside only the actors are lit the background is not lit so it looks like they're in front of a complete black void there's just no there's no trees you can't see anything they look like they're on the set of the charlie rose show (laughs) it's just all black so when uh so when this couple is rowing through this dark this lake uh on a dark night it looks like they're rowing through nothing like black water you can't really tell (laughs) you can't just tell right off uh that they're on a, a lake or a pond and this guy he's saying uh Telling his wife how his mother hates her. And if, uh, like, oh, if I die before my mother, like, she'll leave you out of the will entirely. You'll get nothing. And then he immediately has a heart attack and dies.
1: That sucks for her,
0: man. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, his wife is like, oh, no. I'm not going to get anything. In his mother's will because he just told me that right before he died <laughs> so she dumps his body in the lake as you would and then packs up his stuff and pretends that he uh went on a business trip because they were supposed to go back to the homeland their homeland of ireland for some sort of family reunion so she goes on her own and this family i can't remember their names but uh they they go to Castle Halloran. There must be the Halloran family. They I'll say that they are though I don't. That think makes that's sense the name.
1: to me because why wouldn't they live in the castle of their own namesake? I don't
0: know. So there's three sons. There's a mother, a a constantly grief stricken mother, and her three sons, uh, like Richard, Billy, and uh, the guy that's already dead. John. John. He's already dead. So we've got Billy who is he looks like he's a nice amiable kid. And Richard is like a tortured artist or possibly just a welder. I'm not sure what he was doing. I would say he's an artist. He's he, an artist? he makes okay. art. He's not welding anything that's useful, so
1: that means it's an okay. artist.
0: <laughs> All right. He wants to marry a girl named Kane, I think was her name. Like the wrestler Kane. <laughs> Uh, but the mother the mother won't hear of it.
1: I like you referenced the wrestler, not the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, citizen, like the Citizen Kane? Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it's spelled with a K, I would assume, if I looked at it on paper. <laughs> um, so they're all there uh, because the mother is constantly grief-stricken, and every year they reenact the funeral of the youngest child a daughter who drowned in the local pond
1: seems healthy seems like healthy behavior yeah. to do
0: that and it's the same thing every year they have umbrellas because it was raining on the day of the funeral the mother shrieks and faints and then they take her inside and they do this every year um the ghost allegedly of the little girl is haunting the the castle and there's not a lot specifically that happens really you hear some like little ghost noises um the wife of the dead son is trying to gaslight the mother into thinking that uh, the ghost of her daughter is telling her to change the will i, I guess is yeah that, goal seems, there. that seems right yeah and so she's like, oh, do you hear that? Do you hear that? It's like the voice of a little girl. And the mother's like, yes, I do hear that. And then she uh, swims under, a pond, under the pond with dolls representing like, each of the family members and ties it in a way so that way they will float up in the morning. Yes. And then as she's, uh, as she's exiting the pond, bam, killed with an axe shadowy figure just kills her with an axe so then there's that mystery then the goofy groundskeeper no he's not groundskeeper he's a poacher simon yes simon the poacher who the family just kind of puts up with even though poaching is not humorous (laughs) or funny at all uh he gets killed with an axe and you see his head roll into the pond (laughs) The family doctor, by Patrick McGee played by Patrick McGee, shows up. He's just kind of this asshole cad who's right. Everything he's saying is right. He's just being kind of a dick about it. I'll skip to the end because <laughs> it's just a bunch of people kind of uh, creeping up on each other. But it's revealed that it was actually Billy that accidentally or that accidentally killed the daughter by kicking her into the pond or something and so then he made a rat a a wax replica sculpture of her that he could protect and keep safe and then i guess all this recreating the funeral kind of drove him crazy and he started killing people Mm. and they uh i think yeah patrick mcgee shows up at the last minute and just shoots him as he's about to axe murder another person he shoots him kind of sam loomis style just shows up. He's bald. He's got a little gun. Shoots the villain. And then briefly explains to the audience what just happened. And then the movie ends.
1: Yeah. Did you Did you enjoy this movie?
0: I thought it was okay.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely the best thing we've seen so far, of course. <laughs> yes. But it definitely is a first movie. But I feel when I first watched it, uh, immediately... Visually, it is very striking, like just because of like you said of the of the depth of the of the lighting, but also you have a lot of crazy camera angles and sort of like the crazy camera angles in the black and white. It reminded me a little bit of like parts of like *Touch of Evil*, like the way you have kind of this like low budget black and white, but you're really trying to make it look interesting uh, with no money. And uh, like the first scene in the boat, like really is like you're like oh, there's a director behind this movie. Like you think yep. that immediately, you know. Uh, you don't think this will be the director of one of the great movies of all time in 10 years, which is true, because this is 73, Godfather was 72? Godfather was 72. So nine years from now, he will make what is considered by many the greatest film of all time. But you know, everyone's got to start somewhere. And uh, so the visual's very striking immediately, where you're like, this is a movie that someone is thinking about. It does, I feel the first half is pretty dry. Like It kind of just feels like a people wandering around, a creepy house sort of movie. But then once the axe murders show up, which to me was very shocking, because I did not expect that, because I knew nothing about this movie going in, they're more brutal than I thought a movie could be in 1963. Like, you really do see a head pop off and roll, roll away, uh, which is, you know, pretty violent. Uh, but uh, this, it's, uh, it's, uh, you can tell that it's a director thinking about a movie, actually, like thinking about the shots. Actually trying to impress somebody with it, but still make something on a very, very low
0: budget. Allegedly, the story behind this movie is Corman wanted something like Psycho. There was $22,000 left over from... I think the Young Racers or something like that? Is that what it was called? Yeah, the Young Racers. Coppola was able to raise uh, a couple thousand more so he could make it look you know, slightly better. And... Corman told him he had an idea for a movie Corman told him fine make it like psycho and <laughs> you really knowing that uh, I see the influence of psycho it's about a uh, it's about a, a psycho murdering people with an axe instead of a knife this time yeah because of gr- uh, grief over a dead loved one and then at the end a doctor explains what <laughs> just happened <laughs> There's a lot. of... Psycho was such had such
1: an impact on low budget horror at this time. Like there was the William Castle movie *Homicidal*. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Which is basically Psycho in in his way. And it's like it was like such a thing where it's like, oh, you can make a movie because Psycho was a low budget movie because Hitchcock was like, I just want to make a weird little movie with my TV crew from Alfred Hitchcock Presents*. Because everything before that he'd made were these big Hollywood movies. And a Psycho is like, you get your smaller TV crew and you make this weird little movie in black and white. You use the it sets. didn't have to be black and white. You use the sets from the TV show. And you just make it as effective. And maybe the fact that it is kind of low budget and a little grimy kind of adds to the creepiness of it. And it totally does. And that movie cost so little and made so much money, everybody else was quick to jump on that and be like, we are going to make our grimy little uh, black and white like horror movie. And now we can show people kind of, sort of being stabbed. You don't really see it. But you can apply a little more of the violence, and it's black and white, so you can use chocolate syrup for blood and blah, blah. Uh, what's also interesting about Young Racers is that it has a lot of the same actors from this movie. So, like, William Campbell, who played uh, the artist, is, was in Young Racers, Luana Anders, who played the the conniving wife, and Patrick McGee were all in the Young Racers, directed by Roger Corman. Never seen that one. Uh, never seen that movie. Um, so, yeah, it has the, it this second... It also kind of reminded me a bit of, like... Carnival Souls and like later on Night of Living Dead. Maybe it's because the main people are just like blonde women, blonde white women, In those movies the main characters are blonde white women. <laughs> but uh, like there's like black and white, low budget, kind of frightened blonde white women walking around, uh, you know, in a creepy. Um, yeah, I see that. I, um, I
0: see that the Carnival of Souls influence there because that is also a movie, a black and white movie about a woman being freaked out by. Creepy images that are not especially gory or graphic, but they are creepy and creepier for their like subtle, for their subtlety.
1: Mm-hmm. And that
0: movie was made in 62, so a year yeah. before this. That movie is now part of the Criterion Collection. Whoa.
1: Not Dementia 13, which I believe is public domain.
0: I it, <laughs> Just it,
1: like the terror we did last week. Yeah. Dementia uh, 13
0: is available in full on YouTube.
1: And I guess he, Coppola last year, remastered it and added there was an intro he did that was not released where it was like a psychiatrist or something kind of assessing the audience if they were prepared to watch this horrific movie. Never been released on DVD, but last year he did some remaster and put it in uh, theaters. So this is a a movie made for Roger Corman, American International. Um, It definitely does not feel like a Roger Corman movie in that his movies were more costume dramas at this time, uh, and it's more stylish than some of his low-budget non-costume drama stuff. Like, Little Shepherd of Horrors is great, but it's not a very stylish movie. Or Bucket of Blood is great, but it's a little more straightforward in its filmmaking, where this is a little more got some flourish uh, to it. I guess him and Corman uh, didn't really agree with some of the movie when it was done, and so then Corman brought in Jack Hill, again Jack Hill, to do, he's credited as second unit directing and second unit writing. I've never heard of a second unit writer. writing, but to me that means he just like wrote more things or new things to make it have
0: some, some more sense or something, I don't really know I read, what a second unit writing I is. read that the, and I read on, uh, I believe Wikipedia or IMDB, so take it with a grain of salt, <laughs> but that... The murder of the poacher was added in because Corman did not think it was violent enough or gory enough. You know, Coppola tried to make a psychologically uh, scary movie. So, someone, I would assume Jack Hill, then shot that death of the poacher, which would explain why it's a little more violent than the other axe murders
1: yeah it feels a little more schlocky than the rest yeah. of the movie because the uh, uh louise's death in because she she gets killed when she's going to place the stuff under the water and she comes out and gets hacked to death with ass is more artsy it's kind of more it's like psycho where you see the axe go down and you see kind of cuts of her put her hand up and stuff but you don't really see the gore so much Whereas simon's death is like you see a prosthetic head Roll, roll away. What's funny? I, I, I feel maybe Jack Hill must have directed that guy because that actor, uh, Carl Schanser, Sh- that's how you say it, was in the Jack Hill movie Spider Baby. So maybe they hit ah. it off well, and uh, and he was in the Jack Hill movie Bloodbath. So clearly, there was some connection between that actor. That guy was also in Tonight for Sure, which we did. Was that last week or was that the week before? That was I the remember. week before. That was our first. But, episode. But uh, Tonight for Sure. Uh, he
0: was in that one. That's the... Uh, that's a Bellboy one, right? Uh, Tonight for Sure... No, Tonight for Sure is the two guys telling each other... Oh, the Western, the Western one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he is in that as Benjamin. Uh, one of the guy. I think one of the guys who tells the story. Uh, what's interesting about this actor, um, Carl Chanzer, is that he... Uh, Supposedly, was the guy who inspired the conversation. So the guy who played Simon was also a PI when he wasn't a actor. He did PI work and had a story. His stories he told about being a PI to Coppola, and Coppola was so inspired by his stories it made him write and make the conversation. Huh. Yeah. He had a story he told where he was following a guy forever. And went to a party, and the guy didn't recognize him, and he was disappointed that the guy didn't know who he was, even though he'd been following him for months. And a couple was like, "I like that. I want to make a movie about someone like that." Hmm. Um, and Luann, Luanna Luana uh, Anders, I think that's her name, who played uh, Louise. She shows up later in um, One from the Heart, uncredited, and she's in a lot of Corman stuff. And she, so she played the the conniving Louise. She was pals with Robert Town and Jack Nicholson, and uh, so she's in a lot of Jack Nicholson movies. She's in Easy Rider. She's in Easy Rider. I want to say she's maybe in uh, Five Easy Pieces or the Two Jakes, and just like shows up and yeah, she's in Easy Rider. Yeah, she's, she's... in
0: Two Jakes. She's in Going South. Going. I've never seen that. That's the one he directed, right? That Nicholson directed. I I know he directed the two Jakes. I'm not sure about Going South. One of those Jack Nicholson movies that you've never heard of before. <laughs> which there are a lot of, apparently.
1: <laughs> um, but she's great. She's really good in this movie. Um, William Campbell, who plays the artist brother, Richard, he, to me, felt like, yeah, I can't believe it's not Tony Curtis. <laughs> like, he has the same hairline and head shape as Tony Curtis and has this sort of, like,
0: I'm from the East Coast. These people are supposed to be Irish, I think. The whole family... Nobody
1: has an Irish accent in this movie. The whole family, is,
0: except for the women. Though Not the uh, women, but everyone uh, else is supposed to be Irish.
1: Yeah, and that clearly is not true.
0: Uh, I think the poacher, Simon, does affect a, an Irish accent. Yeah. But, yeah, no one else does. No one even tries. And... This was at the time when you know old Hollywood is dying out, new Hollywood's coming in, and in old Hollywood, you could set a movie wherever and then just have your actors speak in their normal voices. So you have like Gary Cooper and Franco Tone. They're supposed <laughs> to be uh, British soldiers in India, and they're just speaking their American accents. Clark Gable as Fletcher Christian <laughs> and Meet Me on the Bounty is supposed to be British. <laughs> does not speak at all Does not try for a British accent He's playing against Charles Lawton Who is British And speaking with his normal British voice And audiences just, Were okay with this. it They were fine with it
1: Do you prefer that to the current of like Watching Chernobyl and everyone just kind of speaks with an accent But they're all speaking English I uh, Or would you rather they just be like Ah oh, no you know what I'm just American I'm speak. Or like when you see Enemy at the Gates Or like well, there's these people. They speak with a British accent. The ones with the British accent, you know those are the Russians or the Germans or whatever. And the other people speak in this accent, you know that they're this. But they're all speaking English. See, the best is Hunt for Red October because he starts speaking in Russian. And you have the subtitles. And then the, story, the movie just kind of takes it away as if, like, they are speaking Russian. But we're not going to watch a movie in Russian because this is a big Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin action movie by John McTiernan. So we're just going to, like transition in a way where we understand that that's what they're doing. But we're going to have Sean Connery just kind of be Sean Connery.
0: I watched that movie recently. It's really good. It's really good. (laughs) good. Sean Connery is really good as the captain of uh, the Red October.
1: But I feel like I don't... I'm not too bothered by people just because they used to be like, "Eh, you know what, it's fine. I'm not bothered by it because
0: if they were all speaking with Irish accents, I know they're not Irish unless I'm... Well, like if a movie is set in france and everyone's speaking with french accents or they're speaking with russian accents well i know they wouldn't be speaking english with an accent they would be speaking their native language so if they're gonna just speak in their regular normal voices that's okay i mean if they want to you know do uh uh, if they want to add an affectation to their voice because they're supposed to be you know upper class that i'm okay with that but like I'm fine with, like, Marie Antoinette, people spoke in their normal voices, and Valkyrie, they did something similar, where it started out with Tom Cruise speaking German, and then slowly faded into him speaking English, and then all the actors speaking their normal voices, so Eddie Izzard and Bill Nye, they're British, Tom Cruise speaks American. Can
1: you handle an elacitation of Christ like Harvey Keitel? Tarmi
0: (laughs) Kaitel bursting into a room saying,
1: "Jesus, what are you doing?"
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. It works. It works. It strangely works. It strangely works. Harry (laughs) Dean Stanton as Paul, just talking as himself, Uh, is is great. John Lurie. <laughs> yeah, just like, whatever. yeah.
1: Just what the, uh, well, I mean, like, it's... it's. I mean, we all believe Robert Duvall's a cowboy. That guy's clearly from, like, New York City or whatever. And he's, like, a lot of people just associate him with Texas. In same Texan, with Josh Brolin. The Texans love uh, Robert Duvall. Is Josh Brolin not from Texas? Is James Brolin not from Texas? I'm not uh, sure. I'm guessing not. They seem like some real California people.
0: Yeah, Josh Brolin, yeah. like, became at some point... A Texan, a Texan, <laughs> and he's always playing cowboys and speaking in his uh, like Tommy Lee Jones impression. He did in whatever yeah uh, Men in Black movie that was. <laughs>
1: uh, so you'd mentioned uh, Patrick uh, McGee as is he a doctor? Is this character because do- he's very he,
0: in tune with Billy's mental state and he's he what he figures is, it out. He's, so a, he's like a psychiatrist. He's the family doctor. Family he's, the doctor. Family he's the medical doctor because the mother tells him like I pay you to take care of my body, not tell yeah. me how I feel, and then he tells um, Kane, like, oh, like, yeah, I'm the family doctor, but I'm, like, very in tune with what's going on here, so, like, he's just been around the family so long, he understands them psychologically, but he is a medical doctor.
1: And those who are not familiar with Patrick McGee, he is in A Clockwork Orange, He's the guy that they, whose house they break into and rape his wife, and he kind of goes a little crazy, and he's also in Barry Lyndon, so you would you recognize him right it when you see him in this. You're like, oh, that's like the slightly younger version of that older man who's in those Kubrick movies in the '70s. Uh, probably the only real actor in this movie, other than uh, I think Louanne Anders did a great job, but everyone else kind of feels out of place as Irishmen men yeah. when they clearly are just not. <laughs> So I also liked how Coppola, for this, I'm sure Roger Corman just worked in a little bit of skin by having to have Luana Anders strip off all her clothes down to under her like early sixties, you know, uh, angular underwear <laughs> to dive into the water. In, because of the, the way uh, everything is the,
0: lit, um, her like white underwear against her white skin, like for, from the right angle, it looks like she's naked. And drove audiences wild
1: yeah. in this pre Deep Throat days of 1963. <laughs> um, so, I, I think the movie, it's a short movie, but it feels a little long because it does drag. It is a lot of just, there's a lot of downtime in this movie. And it is confusing to have two blonde white women in your black and white movie cuz I kept getting confused at which lady was which cuz they both look so similar. Oh me too. Me too. And I was just like, "Wait, is this the which it, is so it's, it was it was really a breath of fresh air when one of them got killed cuz then I knew which one was left. It's like, you know, like they're the perfect bank robbers, blonde white women. Like you can tell that they like <laughs> that they would uh, be able to rob a bank and you wouldn't be able to give a faithful description like Sienna Miller would be a great bank robber because you'd be like, "Who robbed this bank?" Ah, she's like white, she's blonde, like she's kind of pretty, and you're like you gotta give us more than that. That's all I got. That's all I got for you. <laughs> like I'm sorry, you like, know, I don't have anything else for you. You know, to um, do with that. maybe uh, maybe
0: a decade ago now, there was in Texas the, the ponytail bandit, a white woman wearing a uh, ut longhorns baseball cap with a ponytail because there's none of those out. around <laughs> yeah she went around she robbed a lot of banks for a long time and got away with it because she knew <laughs> yeah she knew that like blonde white women can get away with anything
1: because you don't know the, anything more than that
0: like, like just what's sort of like they had photos of her and like what's her description like well she's she she's wearing a cap and she has a ponytail that's very distinct right <laughs> What more can I give you, sketch artist? And you go down to the strip by UT, and you're like, oh, there's like a thousand suspects for this <laughs> case. Like, what do I
1: do? Yeah. Perfect crime. So the two women in this, you could have told me it was the same actress, I, and I would have believed you. I was so confused by it. <laughs> Maybe I'm just racist towards blonde white women, but they all look the same to me. They really do. They, uh, they, uh, they kind of blend together for me as well. <laughs> Like at least wear a name tag or like (laughs) their hair cut a little differently because their haircuts were sort of similar-ish.
0: Right, they were both that (laughs) early '60s kind of bob style. So I couldn't
1: figure it out. Like for the first, I was like, "Wait, so this is... Oh no, wait, that's somebody else." Okay, all right. So I had to
0: to backtrack several times. (laughs) At the uh, at the very end of the movie, when the doctor discovers the like murder layer, where the wax doll of. The sister is being kept, and the body of Louise, the body of the first, yeah, woman, is like dangling on a hook, and it's shot in like we see like this polarized mm-hmm. uh, image of it to make it look creepier yeah. or scarier, or like you could throw blood and and stuff on on the body and then polarize the image and so it looks less shocking than it is so you could probably get away with that Mm -hmm. easier in the theater and it's i mean it it works
1: yeah it's an effective little style um i also really like the opening credits that was a nice style where it's like the cutout is like almost animated but it's like kind of the guy like floating through the water Mm, yeah that was very good um It's interesting because I don't really think there's a distinct style yet with Coppola in this movie, but there is style. Like there is a style to this movie, but not one where you can say, "Oh, it's like that's definitely a Francis Ford Coppola movie."
0: Yeah, there is style here. There's stuff. There's clumsy dialogue. Um, Allegedly, he wrote the script really fast and didn't do a rewrite on it, so that would explain. The clumsy, sometimes stilted dialogue. I do like the dialogue
1: of, shame on you, Simon, shame on you. That was pretty good. That's how you talk to a grown-up. <laughs> <Like> there's
0: this, <a, laughs> there's a scene where uh, Billy keeps having flashbacks of him and his sister playing when they're kids. And then he tells Kane about this dream that he has where... it it seems really obvious that this dream is actually him remembering, uh, like remembering a repressed memory he dreams that his brother Richard comes into his room and tells him like, I'm crazy and any other crazy person in this room is gonna raise their hand too and then his mother is there and she raises her hand and then they throw, uh the sister in the lake or something like that and it seems really obvious like oh that's a memory like you're remembering the death of your sister but then it turns out no that actually is a dream because he just straight up pushed his sister into the pond (laughs) and then had this crazy dream so i thought it was bad bad writing but it was a a successful decoy i guess
1: they would you agree that the Painting of the dead sister Kathleen over the mantle is one of the worst <laughs> over-mantle yeah. paintings in movie history. Which is interesting yes. because last time we talked about how great the Vincent Price painting was over his mantle <laughs> in whichever movie that was. Haunted Palace. Haunted Palace. And we were like, oh, I hope he kept that painting. That was a really good painting of Vincent Price. But this one really feels like they just like hired someone and it's like, okay, we got five minutes. You can give us a painting. There's like, It's very... Very poorly done. Not a lot of detail. It, lo- it is not the type of painting you'd have hanging up it's, over the mantel, let alone in your house at all. It's so basic and terrible. In your house.
0: And uh, this is another horror movie trope, which I was in like every horror movie of the classic era, but doesn't seem to be in modern horror movies. But if you are ever in a giant house that has a large photo of a dead family member above the fireplace or in the main hall, you just have to get out of that house because it, it's not going to be good. The pr- people are going to be crazy. <laughs> a ghost might be there. Or someone will be watching you from the other side of the painting with yep. the pulse cut out.
1: Do I think rich people just don't get paintings done themselves anymore. I think they just get reality television shows instead. And they're like, better than a painting, I'm on television all the time. Like, you You're can't right. escape me. So like... So the, the Keeping Up with the Kardashians is the terrifying painting over the mantle version of the 21st century. <laughs> it's maybe even more horrifying. Because like there's no paintings. like Richfields don't pose for paintings. You're right. It just isn't a thing. You don't, I don't see it anymore. I mean, I don't hang out with a lot of stinking rich people. But I think that's no longer... A th- I mean, I guess it made sense in a time before photographs. Because you're like, okay, we want to remember this person, you know, I want to remember, I want my so I my image to like last through. Yeah, my so family. I'm going to so dress up in
0: my my nicest clothes. Yeah. I'm going to stand in front stand of stand in front of like some grand display. Yeah. And have John Singer Sargent paint me. Paint me,
1: yeah. But that doesn't, I, again, it, again, then this, of course, takes place in the era of photographs and film. It's 1963. Uh, painting was probably taken in the 50s if the girl was dead before she died. But, uh, yeah, I don't think people do that anymore I think they're too busy uh, trying to sell some terrible product or something that they're not able to stand still and pose for a painting maybe because rich people just don't have class anymore there's no now rich people are yeah. trash and so they're not but do you think Bill Gates must have posed for a painting or maybe not because he's too humble he's a rich guy but he's humble he's a generous man
0: he still dresses like a slob. Or maybe, so. yeah, maybe it's
1: because rich people now are, were not rich and they became rich from the internet and so they're all just a bunch of slobs in sweatpants and you don't want a painting of that in your house. No. <laughs> Could you imagine, <laughs> though? Could you imagine, like, a, a
0: 12-foot... Uh, painting an oil painting of Bill Gates in his like schlubby <laughs> uniform, a, like oversized sweater and like Hagar slacks and he's kind of hunched over and awkwardly smiling yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know I can see like I can definitely see Donald Trump getting a huge painting made of himself to just like permanently try to hang in the White House the next president will be like nope going in the basement yeah but uh and I can see like I don't know I, I don't like, I don't know who would I want to see a nice painting of like Jay Z and Beyonce over their mantle. Like, yeah. why not? They're beautiful people, you know. Yeah. But maybe you don't have time because people are just like they're doing stuff. That's like they're doing things. Like they gotta sell stuff. They gotta make stuff. They don't have time to pose for ten hours for a painting. But clearly Kathleen posed for two seconds for a painting, and this painting is poorly done in this movie. It is bad. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't think anyone kept this painting. My guess is they painted white over it. And made the next movie, painting over it. I'm, I'm sure that's. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what happened.
0: Uh, this movie was released in the UK as "The Haunted and the Hunted." Oh, that's a good title. That's a good title. Um, and dementia
1: Thirteen is a weird title.
0: It is. It has nothing to do with. I guess it was called movie.
1: Dementia, and Roger Corman found out there was some other thing called Dementia, so he's added thirteen to be like, "Oh, that's an unlucky number." Yeah.
0: Well, that makes sense. If he, he wants a movie. That's a psycho knockoff. What's another word? Dementia. For psychosis. Dementia. Yeah. And yeah, thirteen because it's spooky. Thirteen yeah. ghosts. You know. It was released with a double as a double feature with X. The man with X-ray eyes. It's a great movie. I have not seen that. Oh, one.
1: that's really good. Yeah, Ray Milland. Don oh, Rickles. Ray Milland. That's one of the best Roger Carr movies. Like his Ray, Ray Milland performance is. I mean Oscar winner Ray Moland His performance is amazing And that movie's great That that movie's genuinely Unsettling And very very good And Don Rickles is in it So like how many horror movies Have Don Rickles in it And Ray Moland Like that's perfect That's great Um there is a
0: remake of this movie, I guess, that was made like very recently. In 2017. I had no idea that it existed. I don't think it was it ever released.
1: I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. It's definitely not at the video store. I mean, if it existed, I would have never bought it. You would have never bought it. The current manager would have never bought it. Like <laughs> Matt would have bought it. Like Nobody would have bought some remake of Dementia 13. It must have been a total... I would say straight to Redbox, but it's not even at a Redbox. So like when you make that... Where does it go? I don't know. I don't know what you do with a remake of Dementia 13, yeah. or why that's even necessary. It's not like the plot is so fantastic.
0: Yeah, like, it oh, must we need to, be told. We again, need to recreate this again. That it's a classic like, like, uh, like Dracula just has to be done every couple decades for a new generation.
1: Because Uh, it's public domain, does that mean the script is in public domain? Like, can you just remake a movie without permission or paying anybody because it's public domain? Does that make the whole thing? I would assume. Like, could I go out and make a Night of Living Dead? I feel like I could because it's in public domain, and you don't have there's no copyright to any of it then at that point, right? I would assume so
0: that if the film, like the film itself, is in public domain, so you can show uh, it in your movie. You can show it. Dementia 13 can be in your movie on TV playing in the background. But then I would I'm not sure then if that means that everything in the movie is also public domain like the score for the movie. Yeah.
1: Why wouldn't it be? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. To me that must be why some guy was just like Oh yeah, we'll just do Dementia 13 because it's you know, free and I don't have to think of anything new. And Or maybe they just really, really love it. Maybe it's like Peter Jackson's King Kong. Or it's like, I love this movie so much, I want to make my shitty version of it.
0: I yeah. feel like, in knowing nothing about this new Dementia 13, it doesn't star anybody. anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, they didn't even... They weren't even able to get, like, you know, Rucker Howard to make a cameo. (laughs) Oh, don't pick on Rucker
1: Howard. He's great.
0: (laughs) He is great. He's a
1: working. You know, actors like to work. It's a job, like any other job. Sometimes the job is a good job, and sometimes the job is a job. Rucker Howard. He's made more than five great movies. You're right. You're right. I take it it back. I take it back. Like he did Blade Runner and Surviving the Game. He's fine. Like he's (laughs) doing good. (laughs) The Hitcher. One of the great performances ever. Like I love The Hitcher. I love that movie. I love him in that movie. And you know, like, if you're going to bring up something like that, just say Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts will literally be in, a, in like, if you if you take out your cell phone and you're filming something in your front yard, somehow he'll, like, sneak in the frame. You know?
0: Yeah, so this movie, this <laughs> remake doesn't even have, like, Eric Roberts it in it. have Eric
1: Roberts. I guess with Eric Roberts, it's like he, all he asked for is, like, he needs to get paid five grand in a hotel and flown out. And that's all it takes to get him in your movie. So if you have, if you're just some kid in the suburbs, and you're trying to make a movie, and you're like, I want to make a movie with someone in it, just save $5,000, give a call to Eric Roberts' manager, make sure he can stay – like, stay at your – sure it'd be fine, stay at your house, fly him out cheap, and you can. You have Eric Roberts in your movie. Like, if you look at his filmography on the IMDb, it's kind of incredible, because, like, usually there's, like – like, people make jokes about Nicolas Cage being like, oh, man, he's got, like, ten movies, always in been making – Literally, Eric Roberts has like eighty, like has eighty movies in pre-production currently, right now. He just loves to work. He's the James Brown of actors. He's the hardest-working man in show business. I feel bad even making fun of Eric Roberts because he works so hard. Now, Oscar o- Oscar nominee Eric Roberts. What was his nomination for? Runaway
0: Train, I think. Oh. Wasn't
1: it? Not Star Eighty. I'm it's not sure. Runaway Train.
0: Um, now that's an Eric Roberts movie in itself I'm gonna edit this part out but <laughs> a young film low budget filmmaker bar- like borrows money from his parents he's gonna make his money he's heard about this famous you know actor who will be in your movie if you pay him five grand and fly and pay for his ticket out <laughs> and then he comes and he stays in your house but then he turns out to really be a creep and he's like menacing the family <laughs> and the production. That
1: should be an Eric Roberts movie. movie. Don't cut this part out, AJ. This is good. Someone should make this movie. You hire Eric Roberts to play. <laughs> that would be a great Gary Busey movie too where you're just like, okay, this kid's going to make a movie. He, he gets enough money to get Gary Busey and then Gary Busey just menaces his family and it becomes like that great, what's that great Gary, Gary Busey movie where he's like the man, the man in the attic or whatever where he's like living in the attic and oh, just like sneaking around the house. He lives in the attic and spies on this family. It's so good. Anyways, I digress. But, <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah, public domain. Was this movie in the public domain just like the terror because they just forgot to put a copyright on
0: it? It's just like you know, I didn't see within it the last year. It was just Corman slipping because
1: usually, like we said when we did the terror episode last week, when you get those fifty horror films box sets, the terror is in there and Dementia Thirteen is in there. And then luckily for people, Night of the Living Dead isn't there, which is actually a great movie, but just they fucked up and didn't get copyright on it. Um, I wonder if that'll ever happen again. It would be great if like they forgot to put the copyright on like one of the Fast and Furious movies and like anyone they just forgot at the end credits to just put the date and just make a copyright. Yeah, could you imagine if, uh, could do if whatever is,
0: studio released Get Out forgot to put the copyright put the copyright on it. Yeah. You know, it's like this like this uh <laughs> this excellent filmmaker's first film—that's a big smash. And anyone can stream it. and yeah. Put on
1: some crappy Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. That'd be amazing. I really want that to happen again. I really wish that, like, James Cameron will forget to put the copyright on Avatar Three, because he's like, he's just so uh, he's like, so busy. locked. He's so busy, so locked in. And then it comes out, and we're like, shit, I can make money off of Avatar Three. Well, gosh, like, let's get. Let's, get the, let's burn some DVDs and sell them on the sidewalk. Let's screen it. Let's do a re-edit
0: of it. Oh, one thing, I think we're running out of stuff to talk about, about Dementia 13. <laughs> one thing I do want to mention is like, so this is the Halloran family. The oldest, uh, the fake Tony Curtis is named <laughs> Richard. So his name is Richard Halloran. Wait
1: a minute. That sounds familiar.
0: Dick, ha- So that means he's Dick Halloran. Yes. Scatman Carruthers' character in The Shining.
1: Okay. That, do yeah. you think that was intentional?
0: I wonder. I mean... Well, I feel
1: like... Well, I know that Stephen King is a big fan of Luann Anders, and he wrote in something that he was she was one of his favorite actresses, which right. means that he must have definitely definitely seen Dimension 13, for sure. And then we got the Kubrick connection, because Patrick McGee in this movie, who's in Kubrick movies, who directed The Shining... The movie version of the book. This is getting very strange.
0: That must mm. have been. This must prove that Kubrick shot the Moonland <laughs>
1: somehow. <laughs> this all leads to that. Yeah. That must have been. That must have been in Stephen King's head. that must have been intentional. It's weird because that's a movie. That's a book. That's also about someone killing people with an axe in a creepy house. Like there's 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 dead children in the bath in, uh, in the in the in the, thing, hallway, in the yeah. hallway, huh? Yeah, I feel like he must have channeled or referenced some of this intentionally. I've never heard of that before. Are we onto something, or like, there's probably a whole Google? You can play Google and find I some think, many pages. I, I think, ones, think we might like, be onto know. something,
0: or someone may have done an entire podcast about that already.
1: Like how there's a character named Harry Potter in the first Troll movie, which also has witches in it and stuff. Huh, that's weird, right? You know, there's some connection there. <laughs> <laughs> These authors trying to pull a fast one on us. Okay. Well, uh, the next... So the next thing we're... Are we done talking about this movie? I feel uh, yeah, like I can't of think of anything else to about talk about things. it. So we're not going to actually go right into the next movie Coppola directed because, because he'd been working up through the ranks of how to make a movie. He became a scriptwriter for hire beyond Corman like in the Hollywood system when you can still do that and so the next movie we're going to do next week is This Property is Condemned uh, Sidney Pollack movie uh, based on a Tennessee Williams play uh, co-written by Francis Ford Coppola and in this movie uh, in Dementia 13 he's still credited as just Francis Coppola he hasn't added the Ford yet Uh, we'll see which is the first one he directs
0: it has the Ford in there but like I'm excited I'm really excited for This Property is Condemned I've never seen it. The title is vaguely familiar. I'm interested in finding out what it's about.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: I guess we're done. All right, well, uh, if you're in Austin, stop on by Vulcan Video, where we have all of these movies Mm -hmm. and thousands upon thousands and thousands more for Mm. your enjoyment. It's a true story. We have a Coppola section on the director's wall. We have a copolis section, and it goes right into the Sophia Coppola section. We are on Twitter at the director's wall. Our email is thedirectorswall at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, I feel like we're getting back into the groove. <laughs> Sorry about the what? last episode. We were rusty.
1: <laughs> it's been a <laughs> while.
0: been a while but it's going to be we're going to be doing it more regular now yeah. yeah all right uh thanks for listening we will see you next time for this property is condemned goodbye